Turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. Our text will be, and I will be reading, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Blessed and good and holy is the inerrant and infallible and Holy Spirit breathed out word of our Creator to us this morning. Father, let let this one verse do the work for which you intended it for the good of those whom your son died for. Let it sing in the hearts of all of us to the glory of your name. Amen. It's very simple. There are two commands that Christians are to obey. One, honor marriage. Second one, it's, it's not exactly the same. It's certainly part of the first. Do not let the beauty and the wonder of marital intimacy in marriage be defiled. That's the passage. We'll get to why he said it and the argument for it through the sermon. So, honor marriage. Honor that intimate physical relationship in marriage. Okay, what in the world? Okay, let's go back to the beginning to put this thing in context. Genesis chapter 1. We read in verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man, Adam, Adam a human being, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so, God created humanity, man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. He created them. God is the one who came up with the idea of two and only two sexes. Not genders. Gender is a made up 
antichrist leftist term in the Western world over the last few decades. Gender has to refer to anybody who studies languages other than the one that they're born in, like Spanish or, or, or Greek or, or Hebrew, and at least I know most Western languages that still have inflections, gendered refers to an agreement of an adjective with a noun or of a pronoun with what it's referring back to because nouns are either masculine or feminine or neuter. And so we're... No, no. Two sexes. That's what humanity is made up of. God's idea. Not only is that His idea... What those two sexes do in the beauty of marital relations is God's idea in beautiful. He created us as either a male or a female. He created us as men and women. Utterly equal. Reflecting the image and the glory of God. None superior to the other sex in value. And yet, utterly different as sexes. And what God created those sexes to do in the covenant of marriage. Think of all the things that must take place for marital relations to actually be possible. He, he created, particularly now in the male, the ability to get his wife pregnant. It's in the hormones. It's in the biology. It, it's physical. And it's not only physical. It's It's mental. It's in the desires that, that, that in congruence with the physicality, the yearnings. That has to be there or there will be no babies. It has to be there in the male. That was not Satan's creation or wasn't the result of the fall or sin. That was God's design in creating human beings. God created the perfect mixture of the visual stimulation along with the physical and mechanical and the natural operations of our bodies. God thought it up and He created it. Then I left off of verse 27, chapter 1. Then He says this in the very next verse. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, I gave you the ability. Now have babies. God creates man and woman to be able 
to have marital relations with one another. And then, instead of just standing back to see how long is it going to take for them to figure this out and what they're supposed to do and how to do it, He tells them, do this often. Be fruitful. Bear much fruit. And multiply. What a God. Men and women, by God's design, are made to desire and to experience marital relations. He created us to experience that intimacy as non-physical, immaterial souls who are made in the image of God, who are also in... Humanity, even like our Savior Jesus, to become one of us, that human being in its fullness is not only immaterial, it's material, it's physical, and thus for us to physically be uniting in those physical, marital relations. And that's different than dogs and cats in the animal kingdom. But then, now, in the Genesis text, just flip over a page. He said it generally, clearly, concisely, made human beings, male and female he made them. And then say, let's kind of unpack that a little bit. And so you go to Genesis 2, verses 22 to 24. And the rib that the Lord, Yahweh, God, had taken from the male... The man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Say it differently. She shall be called female because she was taken out of male. Let, let me say it in the original, the Hebrew. She shall be called Isha because she was taken out of Ish. Then he goes on. Therefore, a man, a male, shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the male and his wife, the female, were both naked and were not ashamed before the fall. What we learn from the creation narrative, what we learn about God, and that's what we learn about everything else that flows out of God, like the creation of human beings, is that the only place in God's design where this Intimate pleasure is to be experienced and expressed 
is in the parameters of marriage. The covenant of marriage between a male and a female. It is amazing how fast our culture has fallen. How it's, uh, sin has always been with us since the fall. And Christianity, Greeks and the Romans and all of that together has produced what is called Western civilization. And it's a different world than 30 years ago. Because it always has an impact on culture. But the godlessness and the hatred for Jesus Christ and the truth has really produced no shame in proclaiming shun God, dishonor God. What God created marriage to be, teach it in the schools, everywhere. Here's, here it is. Dishonor it. Crazy to put your kid through a public school system right now unless you really, really know what's happening. It was only eight years ago that means I was just about to turn 54 years. So you younger people, for 54 years living in this country, there was no such thing as ever referring to marriage outside of between one man and one woman. Kids don't know that now because of the Supreme Court decision of a burger fell. The official doctrine that permeates our movies, our TV shows, novels, books, the hallways of every high school and dugout. Here's the official creed. Let's dishonor marriage. And let's really dishonor the marriage bed. That's the world in which we live. Let's dishonor the glory of God pictured in the beauty of intimate marital relations in the covenant of marriage. Relations two persons outside of the covenant of marriage everywhere is assumed to be good. Hey, we're post-pubescent boys and girls, men and women. You even just said it, Joe. God created us that way. And I did say it, and He did. And it doesn't kick in when you're at the altar and say, I do. Whoa, I'm a, I'm a being who has desires like that. No, it kicks in during the way He created it, through puberty. But say, the, every, well, that's the way I am. I have those yearnings. It's exciting. Conclusion. Just do it. 
Let's go back now to our one verse, our text. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Marriage and the marriage bed is to be held in honor among everybody. That word honor, it means it's to be held as precious, as very valuable. That that little phrase there, the marriage bed in the ESV translate, it's a euphemism for the physical relations within marriage. Okay, but in the Greek, it's the one word, and it's the word koite. Those who know the word in English, we get it straight from there, coitus in English which coitus refers to that which must happen in order to have babies. Honor marriage. Who? Let's read the text. Honor marriage among all of you Christians. It means... You who are married, honor it. It means you who are divorced, honor it. It means you who are widowed, honor it. It means you who are 14 or 17 or 97 and you're single, it means to you, honor the marriage bed. Don't dishonor and don't defile it. That's what the text says. Honor marriage and the marriage bed. So, just two ways I want to just let us contemplate. How then do we, because it's speaking directly to us, who say, Jesus is my Savior. How do we honor marriage? Or how do we fail to honor it. First, we can honor marriage by holding to the biblical definition of marriage. Which means, in our context that we live in now, refusing to bow your knee to Satan's doctrine of marriage. It means coming against the so-called redefinition of marriage to include marriage between one male and another male or marriage between one female and another female. It is God, not society, that defines marriage. It's the creator of us, not votes that define what marriage is. 
to be fully committed to honoring marriage is to understand the purpose of why God created the universe and thus why He created you. So let me preach that sermon to you right now. 60 seconds. In a nutshell. Here's a context for why you hear don't do this and don't do that. And then in that context, do that. There's a context for it. And it goes like this. Everything that is not God has been created by God. The entire universe was created for a purpose. And that purpose was to reflect God's glory. As we saw in Genesis 2, it's God who said, it's not good that the male be alone. I will make him a female fit for him. And so he created. Didn't create another male. He created a female. He made a woman from the man. And then Adam, without sin, recognized that this woman, the feminine sex, was a perfect complement to his otherness, maleness, his masculinity. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And so God declared then, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. In the context, it is crystal clear. They, the man, the male, and the female, husband and wife. And it's amazing that this one flesh relationship is non-physical. As the femininity, you can't cut that up with a knife and put it under a microscope, but it's real. The femininity complements his masculinity. And it's also physical. As the male biology complements the female biology or anatomy. And all of this is absolutely beautiful and glorious because God created marriage of human beings not as an end, but as a means, a picture. wanted to showcase of His eternal Son, our Lord Jesus, and His bride. 
Let's read it. Ephesians chapter 5. Starting with verse 25, the Holy Spirit says to us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, the feminine to Christ, might be holy and without blemish, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of His body. And then He quotes Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh. One of the most stunning sentences in the Bible comes next. This mystery, when you read Genesis, the creation narrative, male and female, in marriage, doing what God created them to do, That mystery is profound. And yet I, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, am saying that it refers to Jesus and the church. Conclusion. Therefore, it dishonors the glory of God. One, the, the essence of all of our sin is this. A denying and an ignoring. Well, I wasn't even thinking about God. That's how deep sin goes. Dishonoring marriage through having sexual relations with any person outside of marriage is a God issue. It dishonors the glory of God when we dishonor marriage by participating in physical relations outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. For biblical Christians, the definition of marriage is never up to a vote of the populace or nine persons on a court. Never. Lesbian and homosexual relationships are not, no matter what legal system says about it, they are not marriage. By definition. What they are, are ongoing Expressions of sin. They are the effects of sin 
upon our sinful natures. Just as heterosexual sex between a boyfriend and a girlfriend is an expression of sin. Just as adultery is an expression of sin. It's ugly. It's not beautiful. Paul said it this way in Romans 1. Though they know God's decree. That those who practice such, in the context, sexual things. Deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Just watch TV for eight hours a day for the next week. To approve, therefore, any of us who call themselves Christians, to approve of homosexual relationships as marriage, that is to fail. To honor marriage. Okay, uh, to, to approve of someone you are close to and you love and they're in a homosexual, what they call marriage, or lesbian relationship that they call marriage, and you love them and you're supposed to love them, you're supposed to care for them, you walk in the truth with them, you, you, you have affections, you might, like I cried with one of my kids today, if, if it's your, someone's own child who is in that position, or it's a, it's a cousin, it's a friend, it's a, someone you grew up with, Love your, love them. Bring them into your life. But to go further and to approve and say, yes, that's marriage, that's your husband, that's your wife, is to fail. To honor marriage. Secondly, then, we honor marriage by not committing fornication. Or adultery. That's explicit in the text. He's defining, defiling the marriage bed. Let's read it again. Hebrews 13 verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now that word translated sexually immoral, there in the ESV is the Greek word pornus. Yeah, you hear that's where we get porn into English, or pornography. The New American Standard Bible translates it, I think probably as you should in this particular context, fornication. Now, the homosexual thing is just so clear everywhere else. But here, he says, you who are heterosexual and having sexual relations with the opposite sex, that's fornication. And that's how you defile the marriage bed and marriage itself. So, fornication means any person having physical relations with another person 
to whom they are not married. But we're engaged. You're not married. But we're boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm not single. See, see how slowly language gets changed? Never heard such a thing when I was in high school. Now it's like, no, he's not single. Just blur the language a little bit. That second word, adulterer, it's a different word. It's moikus. If you're single, you can't commit that. It refers to married persons. Any married person who has those physical relations with another person to whom that married person is not married other than their spouse. And then you see the word for. Gar. Right there to be in verse 4, right in the middle. Meaning, the reason you are to obey the command, honor marriage and the marriage bed. Here's the reason. Because God will judge the fornicator and the adulterer. The writer says, here are two ways for you human beings to dishonor marriage and to defile the marriage bed. How? By having intimate relations with another person to whom you are not married. Whether you're a married person or whether you're a single person, unmarried, widowed, or divorced, that's the text. From a biblical worldview, male and female, female intimate relations makes sense only in the context of the covenant of marriage. When that is being experienced outside of marriage, it is, whether one feels it or not, it is an insult to the Creator's design. Our sinful natures, Paul calls it the flesh. If we let them have the the, the dominant position on our decision making, what, what, what they are saying in this particular context to us, if we don't fight it by the fight of faith and the promises of God in drawing to God, our flesh demands, well, if it feels good, here's my theology, then do it. I'm just this way. I have yearnings to express myself with the opposite sex that way. I have yearnings to express myself. Not with the, I don't, opposite sex is nothing to me. I'm not attracted to it in that way, but the same sex I am. Therefore, what kind of God would love, how, how could He be loving me if I can't just go express it and do it? That's the flesh. See, marriage, the creation narrative, and the constant clarity that God gives throughout Scripture on it, marriage is the grid for our understanding why 
Why? That's huge. Why sexual sins are inherently sinful. See, adultery is sinful precisely because it robs God of His glory when one commits adultery by just saying, care about your glory. I don't care about the picture of Jesus' faithfulness that I'm supposed to be a parable of. That's why it's inherently sinful. Well, you can say, well, because it causes so much pain. Yes, it does that. But there's something before all the chaos and the pain that adultery causes. And it's, it's not rooted in the creature. It's rooted in the reality of the Creator. And that's why the New Testament presents Jesus and the church as the groom and the bride. And adultery is so sinful because it lies about the fidelity of Jesus to the church. It lies about His Covenant faithfulness. Non-married people having sexual relations with other human beings. Well, we could have bestiology. It's a biblical thing too. It is sin precisely because it is the creature demanding to participate in part of what? marriage represents, in part of what marriage represents, while rejecting the entirety of the marital covenant. We who call ourselves Christians simply cannot talk about human sexuality without talking about marriage. We're united to Jesus By a covenant. The covenant making God. We must. On this issue that is so central to humanity. Relations in marriage. We must talk about it in the context of Jesus' faithfulness. In Bringing a bride to himself in marriage. We must talk about it in the context of male and female. We must talk about it in the sense of fidelity. Meaning faithfulness. And the reality of the order within the covenant of marriage. That God created and instituted. Because the Bible itself puts marriage at the center of human existence as the pointer to Christ and the church. See, okay, not just because it's a do or a don't and God's a killjoy. This is why context is and I tried to draw larger context for you. That's okay. That's the context for reading and obeying such passages. For example, is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 to 6. For you may be sure of this 
that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one in 21st century America deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Because marriage is beautiful as a picture of the father's son as the groom and his bride as his wife. And so I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. You can either listen, let the word of God speak to all of us. Starting with verses 9 to 10, the Apostle Paul writes, Christians, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There's a lot of churches to tell you or imply essentially, not really, that's not true. He goes on, do not be deceived, neither the fornicator, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor reviners, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Thank God. He walked His Son up the aisle. Thank God. He walked, any of you who believe in Jesus and the true gospel, He then walked you, put your hand in the hand of His Son. Because look at the very next thing Paul says right there. I stopped it in verse 10. Look at what he says. In verse 11. So no matter what sins you've sinned. Listen. So go back and summarize it again. Because get there. The unrighteous would not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither fornicators, adulterers, or those who practice homosexuality. And such were some of you. But. You were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
So let me just close by making this part clear. There is no sexual sin that is beyond God's forgiveness. It doesn't exist. There is no sin that is big enough to say Jesus' blood was not enough for that. See, here's, here's the good news. The truth is this. It's right there in the text. There is a judgment on fornicators and adulterers and those who practice homosexuality. But not on all of them. There's an escape from that judgment for many. You see, at the judgment day, there are two groups of people. First is that group, and this is where you want to find yourself, whose sins have been punished by the wrath of God in Christ Jesus. And they are cleansed from guilt. And then there's the other group. Those whose sins will be the evidence in the courtroom of their deserved condemnation and judgment. If you though, right now, no matter any past in any of our lives, if you are a genuine believer, then the miracle of faith has united you to the groom Jesus, and you were, quote, washed. You were set apart. You have been declared righteous, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, it happened by a miracle because He lives in you, that is, by the Spirit of our God. And therefore, what do you do? You When the enemy comes with a guilty conscience from the past, you fight it with the truth of Scripture. That's what you do. And any of us as heterosexual married people, You are never to have relations with another human being outside of your spouse. Any of us unmarried people, divorced, widowed, never married, you are not to fulfill those natural, inborn, innate hormonal desires that may constantly bombard you with any person outside of the covenant of marriage. And here's the truth of the broken world. There are many whom Jesus brings to Himself and they don't know what it is to have those kinds of desires, at least up to that point in their life towards the opposite sex. 
But they know what it is to have those desires toward the same sex. Welcome to the fallenness. So for all of those persons who have fled for refuge in Jesus, they are not to fulfill those desires ever. Unless, well, that, now that, that, that stands true. God does this miracle and says, you know what? I can marry any. And many have done that and married the opposite sex and be faithful to their wife. Intimate relations are to be experienced only in the covenant of marriage to the opposite sex. So, has God's grace caused you to turn away from fornication? Adultery, homosexual experiences, or promiscuous petting, or an unlawful divorce. Yeah, okay, here we go. Then go on now and honor marriage by living out our bridegroom's gift of forgiveness, cleansing, and don't let a guilty conscience then plague you because. There is there for now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me close with a short reading from Psalm 103. Because hear it, because the groom, our Lord Jesus, purchased this. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Nor does He repay us according to our iniquities. You know why? Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Oh, what a husband. What a Savior. Let's pray. And end our time together worshiping Him for such grace and power of grace by the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, continue to glorify Your name in us, Your people here and Your people throughout this world by those who honor Christ and the covenant, who honor human marriage. Because we are those who have fled for refuge in the beauty and the mercy and the grace of your Son. To the glory of his name. Amen. Let us stand.